Three Brothers, One Mike is a weekly podcast put together to help motivate and inspire our listeners both mentally and physically in the hopes of helping you be the best you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Brothers, One Mike. I'm Joe and as always my brother Coach Tony is here. Tony. Hey, what's going on everybody at T-Bomb Land? Joe, what do you what do you have for us today? How are we starting this thing off here today? You know what, actually I do have something to start things off this time. Uh, you know, every week I stand by and listen to your 80s trivia, which, don't get me wrong, brings back tons of memories. Yeah, I don't apologize but, for that. <laughs> I know you don't. But you <laughs> talked about something last week that just gave me a great idea for this show's opening monologue. Last week we talked about music and movies, mm-hmm. um, how just hearing like particular songs brought you back to a scene from a movie uh, the music was in. More right. specifically, we talked about Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins for the legendary uh-huh. Top Gun movie starring Tom Cruise and a ton of other great actors. Uh, uh, you, you know what? Um, and here I am already interjecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you just mentioned that. And can I just throw something in real quick? Sure. Uh, remember, we were talking about other actors in that movie, and I said Rick, and I couldn't think of his last name. Uh-huh. Rick Rozovich. That was that was the gentleman. Um, he was Slider in the movie, and then people might remember him from Roxanne. Remember that movie with um, Steve Martin, Steve Martin and yeah. Daryl Hannah? Okay. That was one of his other big movies, and he was actually in Terminator as well. He was one of the people that got killed first <laughs> in oh. the very beginning of the movie. Uh, okay. So he didn't have a whole – his part was kind of small in that movie, but he did a ton of movies. But that was his name, Rick Rozovich. Okay. And so go ahead. There's that. <laughs> There's that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was another film that we brought up as well, and it's been one of mine – like one of my favorites since I first saw it back in the back in the late 1900s. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1970s to be a little less vague. But if you heard last week's episode, you should already know that that movie would be Jaws. Yes. And with Summer Upon Us, I felt it only fitting to give you some behind-the-scenes notes I've come to learn over the years, as well as some new ones I've stumbled upon even recently. Love it. Yeah. So, Mm. first, we'll get right into it. Believe it or not, Jaws was supposed to be a Christmas-time-released movie. So, you know, like, move over Die Hard as far as the controversial holiday flick, and, uh, <laughs> flick that everybody, you know, tries to decide if that's Christmas or not. Yeah. But, you know, it, it doesn't really make much sense when you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with, with Jaws being, it was, it took place over the 4th of July weekend. All right. But what happened was with all the cold weather uh, the year prior, it slowed down production. Of course, Jaws is a big mechanical shark. Uh, they don't work well <laughs> in cold weather. And so it actually pushed it into the summer. And gave us that. It was uh, June of 1975 when it was released. Okay. Yeah. So that was one thing. Uh, That's interesting. Again, like I said, it's just, it would have been really odd to be a Christmas movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm not buying it. Yeah. But go ahead. So the second thing is the the mechanical shark's name was Bruce. And there's nothing really to go on about with that, except if you're a Finding Nemo fan, um, there's a great white shark in the cartoon whose name is, of course, Bruce. It was just a callback to Jaws, to the, to the, you know, to the robot that they used in the, in the movies. A shout-out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, last, you're going to need a bigger boat. Now, Brody <laughs> said that after he's chumming the water, and Jaws makes – he actually makes his first appearance at that point. Bruce yeah. makes his first appearance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he just comes in with a look on his face. And in that moment, unscripted, you know, uh, uh, he, he, I'm sorry. Wow. Roy Schreider 
Yeah. Strider comes straight out and just says, you're going to need a bigger boat. It was never scripted. It was never once in any line that he was ever supposed to say. Um, but, but it's just, it's, it's kind of funny that such an iconic line, right? Uh, at any time, if you said that in any context, the first thing mm-hmm. people would think about is Jaws. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, right. So, you know, just, just again, just kind of a, a funny, funny little fact there. Absolutely. But, uh, so with, with those three things, I'm not going to go on and on. I mean, we've all, I would think by now I've seen at least one of the Jaws movies. Um, let me ask you, Tony, what would you say was like your favorite part of the movie? Well, you, you know, first of all, I, I, need to, I need to dial back to a couple other things first before yeah. I even get into that. Number one, Die Hard was a Christmas movie. <laughs> and if we ever want to, folks, if you want to argue that with me, you can go right ahead. I'll give you my top 10 reasons why in another show. But Die Hard was a Christmas movie. I know that that people, you know, think to themselves, well, there was no snow. Well, they were in Los Angeles. Yeah. But if you can recall, I believe it was a Christmas party they were having at the Nakatomi building. And there was a big Christmas tree in the middle of it. It was was a a Christmas theme movie. Absolutely. It was a Christmas theme movie. That's why Bruce Willis's character, John McCain was going out. McClane, I'm sorry, was going out there Mm -hmm. to see his family visit for the holidays. And that's a whole other thing. Anyway, I'm not going to argue about that. Jaws. Um, Thank God they changed that. I don't have no idea how they were going to make that a Christmas movie. That right. would have been strange. Right. Uh, so, you know, that being that being said, man, favorite part. Mm-hmm. That's hard for me because there were so many. I, there were, you know, the parts where Richard Dreyfus, who plays Hooper, mm-hmm. uh, the marine biologist uh, that they bring in, the parts where he and Robert Shaw who was fantastic in this movie, um, the gentleman who played Quint, when they had that bantering back and forth where they were pushing each other's buttons all the time. Sure. The, all those scenes were hilarious to me. I mean, I loved when them two would go out, you know, Shaw's character, Quint, always, Hooper! You know, he was yeah. always yelling at him and and uh, Hooper just dealing with it, you know. Right. But um, it, was, it, was, it was hilarious. But um, I have to say... Uh, uh, obviously you're going to need a bigger boat is just a fantastic scene. Sure. But, but I have to say when it's the scene that is, that always has been my, my, my favorite of my favorites mm-hmm. has to be the scene when it's nightfall, they're on the boat mm-hmm. in the water. Absolutely. And uh, they're in the cabin and they begin talking about, each other's injuries and they're showing each other their, you know, tiger shark bit my leg here. And mm-hmm. yeah, I got it. And they're drinking. So they drink to their legs. They drink to their injuries and they're laughing and everything is funny. And Hooper throws out a few jokes. And then all of a sudden I can't remember which one notices, but it's either Brody. Okay. Played by Roy Scheider. It or it's, uh, yeah. Uh, Chief, Chief Brody notices it. Chief Brody. He notices on Quince, I believe it was his arm. Yes. He has a tattoo. And the tattoo is of the USS Indianapolis. Right, right. And then when both of them realize what that tattoo is, when he, you know, notices it and then Hooper notices it, it gets real serious. Anybody Mm -hmm. who knows that story knows why that scene gets real serious. The music becomes real serious. And then, you know, Quint goes into talking about what happened. That was a very riveting part of the movie. That was a, that was a great moment in that movie. Um, for a lot of reasons that was probably, I would have to say, if I had to pick one, that would be the one I would pick. Right. And you know, it's actually mine as well. And I'll tell you why yeah. you said it best. It was like one of the most riveting scenes uh, when he, when he started talking about that. Um, first of all, a lot of folks don't may not realize it was, it's a true story. 
what happened yes. with the Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Um, however, of course, some of the story was was changed. You know, uh, there were some variations that that Robert Shaw actually wrote into the story. A lot of oh, people okay. may not have realized he was actually a screenwriter and a playwriter as well as mm-hmm. an actor. So, yes. you know, he he had some writing capabilities as well. And so, uh, you know, for instance, he talked about how two thirds of the men uh, made it off the boat, of course, ended up dying, most of by which were a uh, shark attack. Mm-hmm. But there were others who died from dehydration and heat stroke. Um, but, you know, I think ultimately, because of the way he tells that story, yeah. he paints a picture that allows our imagination to set the scene rather than a writer or a director. Right. Um, right. You know, a lot of people say, well, the book was far better than the movie. Why? Because we were able to, you know, there's no limitation to our imagination. Right. And when somebody else is showing us now, now we're limited by what they're showing. And that's just it. Because listen, when he describes the shark's black eyes, like a doll's eyes, mm-hmm. and how when being bitten, they roll over white and you hear that terrible high pitched screaming. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you, it makes me, it makes me, uh, uh, Going to Daytona Beach, we go every year, makes it all the more enticing, right? <laughs> I, mean, I, just, I just can't wait. By the way, interesting fact, Daytona Beach is in Volusia County. Volusia yes. County is also known as the shark bite capital of the world, whatever. Uh, yeah. We go almost every year and haven't had any incidents where we stay. However, there have been incidents over the years. Um, you know, And before I go into this next part, real quick, Tony, I have a little trivia question for you. Oh, boy. How many shooting stars – were there during that scene after after everything takes place with 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 Bruce he makes a, you know he makes his appearance in that scene after the story of the Indianapolis mm-hmm. they they start singing their funny song about show me the way to go home yeah uh all the lights go out brody's coming across the uh, bow of the boat and, and yep. you see how uh, so how many total in that scene not just there falling stars do you see <sighs> Three. That's a great guess, but guess what? Any number you would have said is dead wrong. They were thrown in uh, graphically, graphic effects-wise, after the movie. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I'm why like, wow. Why would – any reason behind that as yeah, to why? Just, they, okay. just to set the scene, just to make it like a different a different you know, movie. Because think about it. How often have we seen a shooting star, let alone to see three separate ones in one scene caught on camera? Once. Yeah. And – it's it's more than that. Um, they never really anticipated the digital digital media becoming a thing, uh, and now we're able to take it frame by frame. And whereas if you had a shooting star, it would just be a streak that would grow larger larger between each frame. Yeah. Right. Well, now there's a streak. There's a pause. There's a streak. There's a pause. So they were just adding it. When you put them in in frames, as far as a movie, and it goes fast, you don't see the little pauses in between. Right. Think, think like your your uh, Rudolph the Rendos Rendos reindeer claymation. Right. Yeah. They make little mm-hmm. movements and record right. them and make a movie. Same yeah. thing. And they were able to, to actually prove that. So now back to what I was talking about before. That's this is an interesting. I, I have a a quick little little uh, uh, news rant that I usually put out there whenever we talk about this. Now, when we are down there and uh, two years ago, there was an incident. Um, where a young man was was in the ocean, and uh, suddenly you see all the emergency vehicles going down down the uh, down the down the beach down the down the main roadway there, and they're making their way towards the incident. Uh, and the next day, you read in the newspaper big headlines: man in ocean bitten by a shark. Uh, I, I don't now see. This is what what I don't understand. Now here in Ohio, if you're told someone was bitten by a shark, 
yeah, that's that's probably front headlines, big bold print, right? But mm-hmm. when you're in Florida, um, and you say that there's a man in the ocean who is bitten by a shark, I I don't know that there's the shock value that they're really trying to present there. As the man was in the ocean, where the shark is, <laughs> you, you see what <laughs> okay. I'm saying? Like, yeah. what's this? I, it's news. It should be in there, maybe second page, because you're in Florida. This happens, right? It's the shark right. by capital of the world. Oh no, front page, man in ocean. Attacked by a shark. And I just feel like like that's not the kind of news that in Florida should be posted on the front page in big, bold print. To me, okay, okay. This, the kind of headline that should be there's like, man in ocean attacked by a polar bear. I think that's something we need to know about. There's polar bears biting people in Florida, right? Wouldn't that be news to people in Florida? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it would be unbelievable. I, I think, think that, some people would. I think it might attract people to come down there and see this. Exactly, there'd place. be a much greater shock value because okay, it makes sense. Pterodactyl flies over condos, picks child out of ocean. <laughs> I don't know what kind of Jurassic Park stuff's going on down there. <laughs> But that is the kind of headline that should be down there for. And I'll be honest, tourist you, attraction. Would you be shocked if you did see a headline like that coming out of Florida? I'd be I the mean, first person saying. on a plane. I'd and, be the first and, person on a plane on the way down there to see this pterodactyl. Right, right. And if <laughs> if if it's about the shark, right? Because we know that you know, obviously, it has its own intrinsic va- intrinsic value when we're yeah. talking about you know Jaws and and what people think about. Fine, okay. So then, if it were some man driving on a one a carjacked at stop sign by a shark. That okay. Now we have carjacking sharks. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, that's you know the what? Kind of, that's the kind of headline I would expect to see in Florida when somebody's attacked by a shark. Because that's news. It's not news when you're in the ocean with the shark and then you get bit. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I think. Well, listen. I think I, I, I all duly noted. Except you have to put one. You have to put one disclaimer in there. If it's 2020, it mm-hmm. doesn't make the headlines anyway because anything is possible in 2020, which means. And yes, I know we're in 2021 now, but in 2020, <laughs> if you told me a pterodactyl was attacking people in Daytona, I would say, well, what else is there? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and it yeah, probably right. has the coronavirus at that time. Right. So, you know. Probably. Most yeah. likely it's the care. And then I would but, have to um, question, I would be upset, well, why wasn't it wearing a mask? You know, then we'd have to go down that path. Yeah. Whatever. We're, we're all over the place now. And of course, uh, it, you know, the whole thing isn't funny, right? Uh, you know, it just, it's always been odd to me that it's been big news that people get bit by a shark when they're in the ocean. Look, you know, it doesn't happen very often and it is certainly news. But again, when you're in a place where you're surrounded by ocean and there are sharks and we know that there's sharks in the water. I just I can't understand how it's such huge news that somebody was bitten. And mind you, we're not talking about a massive shark attack. He probably had about three stitches in his big toe. No, so you know, but that's my no. that's my little thing. But so we know we know we know now that these are the kind of things that have you up at night. Uh, basically, truly irritated with the with the news in Florida when they're covering things of. Well, such. I'm on vacation and I read something like that, and it just yeah. irritates me. It doesn't make it, it again. It, it's I feel like it's a waste of good headline space. It's Nothing a duly noted. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. You know duly, I mean? I'm writing it down now. When it uh. comes down to what's really scary about this whole thing with shark mm-hmm. attacks and everything, yeah. uh, really, um, the facts that I got here for the Jaws movie, I got them from the AARP website. Okay, so so what kind of uh, okay? Arp, Tony. Arp. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Is that some kind of uh, is that a, is that a, a rip shot at your brother or what? What is that? Uh, you're like three years older than me. That's yeah. the fact that the movie is old. <laughs> we yeah, were both I, born in 1975. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
I, 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 at first I thought, is this some kind of like uh, uh, rip shot at his brother here? Or is this a, yeah, we are, we are. And uh, I don't really like to talk about ARP, so I pretend like I have no idea what that means. <laughs> yeah, ARP is where you got this information from. Yes. Oh, boy. I'm not, I, you're not drawing me in. I'm not going there to yeah. find any information. It's there. <laughs> you just look up the, what was it? Interesting facts about Jaws. And it was one of the top, one of the top Google searches. Wow. That's just fantastic. Let me yeah. tell you. So, all right. all right. So anyways, before moving on with the show, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When we return, we're going to, we're going to be talking about how to begin a workout regimen from the ground up. And the head ri- headlines should read, Foundational building, Coach Tony says it's going to be the best show yet. Absolutely. See you in 50 seconds. Welcome back, everybody. So, well, that was interesting. Um, (laughs) I I enjoyed that first segment, everybody who uh, was aboard listening to that, until I was informed about how old I was. Yeah, well. Uh, ARP. I'm you're, I'm not drawn in. I'm not going to the website to see what else they have. Uh, <laughs> they send me enough stuff in the mail. I don't even I will. I refuse to even acknowledge them. So uh, that being said, uh, today uh, we are going to attack foundational training. Now, just in a previous show, we talked about warming up. All right, we did talk about cooling down also as well. We're again just like any other time we talk about stuff. We make sure that you guys understand. We are coming back to this on a regular basis. So it's not the last time you're going to hear about warming up or cooling down. But warming up is what happens first, right? We talked about all of that. And if, if you are looking for an understanding or a definition of what foundational training is, which is what we're talking about today, let me give you guys first an understanding of what we mean by foundational training. By giving you an example, and if you can visualize this, and I think everybody can, Now, I am not an architect, and I am not somebody who owns a construction company, and neither are probably 99% of the people listening to us today. Uh, But you can easily easily visualize this, folks. When you see a house being built, whether it's your house, a neighbor's house, a house you're driving by that's 20 miles away from where you live, 50 miles away from where you live, uh, a show that you watch in which they build things, build homes, build offices, you will notice one thing. The first thing that they do is build the foundation. They build the basement or they build the slab that the uh, particular home is going to go on. If you don't have that foundation built first and you just build the building right on top of the ground, what's going to happen to your house? It's going over. It's crumbling. It's not going to be as sturdy and it's not going to stand as long as it would have if it had the foundation underneath it. Equate that to what today's show is about when we talk about foundational training. It is about building that basement, building that foundation underneath your house before getting too crazy and going into, you know, explosive movements. And when we're talking about exercise now, going into multi-joint movements, going into things that are going to uh, cause your house to break down because you don't have that basement built first. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. Um, uh, and so, of course, I think it makes sense because I'm talking about it. But if it doesn't make sense, let us know so that we can, you know, maybe maybe break it down a little bit differently. Uh, in my definition, all right, uh, based on what I've learned in over the years with all my studies, uh, I would basically look at uh, foundational training. I would look at it as the beginning of any program, which is necessary to assess beginners 
And those coming off injury, keep that in mind, in terms of balance and coordination, efficiency of muscle recruitment, we'll talk about this stuff, strength within tendons and ligaments, and overall endurance and cardiovascular fitness. That's the way I view it. That's the way I was taught how to view it. And it's been extremely beneficial, not only in my own training, but in those that I've trained over the years, going on 20 years now. So you cannot be in a hurry. You must allow for natural adaptation. Natural adaptation is your body's ability to naturally adjust, okay, to how it's going to adapt to the training it's going through to do everything I just mentioned earlier as far as the efficiency of muscle recruitment and the strength within the, within the tendons and ligaments and cardiovascular fitness and everything else. So patience is key. Injury prevention and achieving overall fitness are the goals, and I would say in that order, meaning injury prevention may be the biggest reason to do this because if you're injured, you're not going to achieve overall fitness anyway. So it doesn't really matter if you can't get the first goal down, the second goal is not going to matter anyway because you're going to be constantly in pain, constantly hurt, constantly unable, incapable of achieving that overall fitness because you're always recovering from injury. So injury prevention to me is the number one reason you look at foundational training uh, as a key. And again, warming up, foundational training. One follows the other. What we are looking for is, is a good strength base. Too much too fast will result in overuse and overtraining. Ironically, two concepts we're going to be talking about, Joe, in the very near future in a riveting interview with somebody who has gone through this process, and she has a great story to tell uh, when it comes to overtraining. Uh, so definitely, folks, keep listening because the next couple of weeks are, are outstanding. Um, and or in the future, I should say, actually, in the very near future. We're avoiding certain things in the beginning here when it comes to foundational training. Plyometrics, explosive movements. By the way, plyometrics, that's what that means, measuring explosiveness. Um, you know, and, and doing things that are too explosive, too fast, before we've actually built that basement. Hey, Tony, what, what yeah. might be some examples of, of plyometrics, just so that they have a better idea? Because, I mean, to say explosive movements may not right. really you know, and, and, and You know what? And thank you for interrupting me in certain situations like that, because I always have it in my head. Well, we're going to be doing shows about plyometrics and we're sure. going to be talking. So I just say it and, and I don't really think about the fact that I should probably maybe give a couple examples. Sure. So, folks, when we talk about plyometrics, if you could think for one second uh, about maybe lower body explosive movements, plyometrics would be if you could think about a knee tuck jump. So you're standing in place, feet shoulder width apart, and you jump up in the air and you drive your knees towards your chest. When you land back on the ground, you bend the knees you flex the hips, and you jump up again as fast as you can. Keep this in mind. The ground is lava, and you're barefoot. So that's about the amount of time you really want to be on the ground. So it's constant, repetitive, explosive movement. So your muscles are contracting and lengthening in milliseconds. Right. Even, and, even if you took the, the knee tuck part out of it, basically, for, for those who are like, you know, that may even be jumping. Jump rope. <laughs> you're jumping. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Jump you rope. want to be on the ground less and in the air more. That's sure. pretty much what you're doing. Yes. And yeah. that's just one, that's just one example right there. Make sense. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, so the goal, the goal really is, is slower tempo. All right. Mm -hmm. And there have been six movements in my regime. Okay. That I use for people and I, I use for myself and use for myself at times 
that helped me get back into that. You know, let's say I'm off for a few months from training. Mm-hmm. I get back into foundational training before I jump back into whatever programs I may have been doing. Body weight squats, push-ups, pull-ups, body weight lunges, deadlifts with lightweight, if any weight at all, and overhead dumbbell presses, again, with lightweight. And normally this is the one for sure that you're always using some kind of weight. Right. Um, and and these, these movements are essential for so many different reasons, and we're going to talk about them. And are these the only six? No, there's so many variations coming off of these. And that's why this is going to be more than just one show. We're going to talk about foundational training, you know, quite a bit in our journey here on Two Brothers, One Mike. Right. And Tony, for deadlifts sure. with, with the body weight um, or very lightweight, that's that's more than just than just getting the muscles ready, but also to perfect your form before you start to add the heavy weight as well. Because form is it's, – it's everything for all exercises anyhow, but deadlifts – uh, especially, especially if you have the potential of having a back issue, trust me, what I'm t- I know what I'm talking about here. Your form is absolutely everything. So starting out slowly with light weight to get your form first mm-hmm. is, is probably, you know, the best, the best idea for, for anyone who's even attempting them. Would you agree on that? Or, uh, here's my rule that I always tell my young athletes mm-hmm. and I would tell my adults as well. My young athletes, their mm-hmm. biggest concern is speed. Mm-hmm. all the time. So I make the rule for them and I change a little bit and I tell them there are four things you have to understand. Technique, 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 then speed. Right. If you don't have technique, I don't care how fast you're moving in any direction. If you mm-hmm. don't have technique, I don't care how strong you think you are. You're asking for all kinds of problems. Yeah. And that's with a child too. I think they believe everything faster means better. If I could do right. this faster means I could do, I could do it well. Yeah. The, yeah. the biggest problem with an athlete is that they, only know get from point A to point B as fast as possible. Right. And, and so you have to slow them down. You actually mm-hmm. have to take a fast athlete and slow them down mentally because they don't know any other way, except I got to get there. I have to win the race. Yeah. And so you have to teach them win the battle before you win the war. Yeah. Uh, that is a huge concept that I, that I drive home. So uh, if, if that makes sense. Well, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, keeping in mind, you know, we have variations and and some variations that make certain things easier are slightly are slightly more complicated with these movements, depending on everyone's fitness levels. Some people might find some of these movements too easy. Mm -hmm. And and so they want to add to that. And we're going to talk about different ways you can do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some examples of how to increase weight or intensify movements of the pull up over time. We can we could talk about that as an example. Um, you know, some people are just heard me say pull-ups as a foundational movement, as a beginning movement. I can't even do a pull-up. Um, so there's different ways that you can ease the intensity of that pull-up and make right. it easier on you. If you're going to continue to do the actual pull-up, there are people that use flex band, jump stretch right. bands, and they tie the band around the pull-up bar and they make a knot and they have the band hang down. You use a chair or a step up. You get up, you put your knees in the band, and then that band helps to control your movement downward as well as to ease the tension in terms of the intensity it's going to take to pull yourself up over the bar. Right now you have to be very careful when you use those bands because you can get hurt easily if you're not paying attention and not taking it slowly down Mm -hmm. and slowly up, Uh, you know, come flying off your leg. And then suddenly you're in a position where you're now holding your own body weight. The band hits you in the face. Mm -hmm. And, And so I always say you should have a spotter standing behind you when you're using jump stretch bands. Sure. 
So there's other things you can do also, though, with the pull-up. You don't have to necessarily do the pull-up. You can switch over to a dumbbell bent-over row instead until you strengthen your back. You can use yeah. a pull-down machine and a universal machine where you do pull-downs, where you mm-hmm. have the bar in the air and you sit on the seat and you adjust the weight with the pin, and you do pull-downs instead until you have increased your strength to where you could start working on pull-ups. So there's ways to do this, okay, leading up to the pull-up. The pull-ups are not easy. Uh, But if you can do a pull-up, even one, and do it efficiently, then that's the route I would go. Yep. That's definitely the route I would go. I've I've actually seen it where um, (laughs) uh, the way that some of our our, uh, residents, if you will, would Mm -hmm. would get their, uh, uh, you know, their pull-up stamina going if it was a set of 10 you know this is all they had to work with but if it was a set of 10 and they could only do one they did one 10 times until they could do two five times there you and, go you know what i mean they would eventually mm-hmm. work it up to where they were doing full sets of 10 so there you go i mean and that's just one example right there yeah you know ba- based on my studies with the international sports sciences association and you know let me say this real quick as my add kicks in <laughs> um you know how we changed two brothers, one mic, and now we call it T-Bomb? Yeah. Folks, you've heard me say something about the International Sports Sciences Association several times, so I'm going to switch that over to ISSA now. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> that is taking way too – that's longer than, than our last name. I, yeah. I, I need to switch that up. So when I talk about ISSA, I'm talking about where all my studies come from, and that's the International Sports Sciences Association located in Utah. Okay? So basically – um, from now on, let's go ahead and shorten that up. Why don't we? <laughs> so with the ISSA, based on all the studies that I've done with them, um, we know about the six basic exercises that we do to assess individuals ability, uh, to move with, you know, correct posture is huge. Strengthening all the major joints and stabilizing the core is huge. This is what we're talking about with the foundation. You know, I just listed them a minute ago and assessing is key here. And patience is a virtue like no other. You're going to hear Mm -hmm. us say that all the time. The opportunity in this moment is to evaluate what needs modified or made more difficult to help you gain all the values that I've already said thus far to make you capable of moving forward in your workouts to do the more explosive, the more multi-joint movements, building the basement first. Yeah. And, you know, to, to add on to that, especially if, again, you're in my position where, you you know, you have an injury or there's something that you have to work around. Right. I have my back to work around. I hate, talk about having, that. Yeah, I hate having to constantly refer to just like, boy, he really wants us to know he's hurt. No, my point is even still. So there's still things I'm able to do and I do it. So but there's like we said here, there's ways that you have to, uh, uh, you know, you have to make considerations and work around them. But yes. Tony, I do have a question. Yes. Um, what if I'm not using a trainer? So like, how would I go about assessing myself? Okay. Uh, that's a good question. Um, let's talk about that. I'll tell you what, what we're going to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you a couple different points here. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, two or three different rules you should follow okay. when it comes to this. But first let me add a disclaimer here. If you're an individual who has never trained before, you really need to find somebody, folks, in your area. You need to do your research. Find out who is good and who is not. Find out, you know, from friends and family and do your research on, on the different sites, local gyms in your area, the trainers that work there. Find a trainer 
who you can work with in the beginning. It does not mean you have to go to the gym five or six days a week and spend thousands of dollars on somebody. But you do need to work with somebody, just like you make appointments with speech therapists or with psychologists, psychiatrists, where you go to them once every couple of weeks. Or You have to find somebody where you can set up a situation where maybe three or four times a month, maybe even, mm-hmm. um, in the beginning, and then maybe you up it to six or seven times a month for a while to get the understanding of what you need to be doing on your own before you go off and try this on your own. Yeah. If you're that individual. Right. And I'll tell you this too, even when you start at your own regiment, when the time comes, it'll get to a point where you won't really like, you'll figure things out for yourself. You'll see what works yes. with us. And, and that's that um, that's happened to me numerous times in, in the whole beach body layout where I've done hybrid stuff. I, I talked mm-hmm. about at one point, although this was no time recent when I was doing the P90X and the insanity, I, I, you start to learn on your own what, what works and what doesn't. Um, but also real quick to add to that disclaimer, of course, also, if you've never worked out before, you know, if, if you are feeling some aches or pains or what have you, make sure you talk to your doctor first. Again, they know your situation. They know your circumstances. Um, they, you may have other, other things going on in your life, um, you know, cardiac wise or, or what have you. And you need, um, you know, to know what kind of intensity level pre-existing conditions, to, right? Things that you need to be working around. So again, of course, uh, uh, to add on, uh, make sure you talk to your doctor as well. We can't, you know, folks, we've, we've said that on almost every show now, we can't express enough how important that is. No. And, and, uh, and I think for liability reasons, we're going to keep it though. <laughs> we're going to keep, well, you have to, you have to, because, have to. because, you know, someone will say, well, you just said go ahead and do this. Yeah, no, 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 we didn't. No, um, we're not saying that ever. And the reason why is that is unfortunately that is one reason um, you have to do that uh, mm-hmm. for all anybody out there who is claiming to do something. You better always make sure that you make people understand that they should be talking to certain people first before they venture into something like that. Sure. And um, and what Joe just said is absolutely imperative. So you know. Getting into that, you know, two to three point rule, we'll make it a three point rule. Mm. Uh, and, and with the disclaimer we just added, if you've been sanitary your whole life, let's talk, you know, let's talk to people now who have worked out before. Uh, and maybe you haven't worked out for quite some time, or maybe you're coming off of an injury. Or we're going to talk about all the different re- ways and reasons you use foundational training. It's not always about someone who's just starting off for the right. first time ever. Uh, first, all right, you have to set a rule that. You need to understand you are trying to accomplish the six exercises that I mentioned earlier. You're trying to accomplish those with relative ease. So, you know, being able to do one round where you do one set of each of those six with relative ease is a must. You should stick with that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were those six again? Well, you had the body weight squat, right? Mm -hmm. You had the push up. You had the pull up. You had the body weight lunge, the deadlift, body weight or lightweight. And then usually always you're going to use this one with lightweight overhead dumbbell press. Okay. Just a quick reminder because we had talked about it sometime ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so those are the six. And again, there's so many variations of, of, of those that other exercises that mimic those or work the same muscle groups, but in different movement patterns yeah. that we're going to talk somewhat about here and that we're going to talk about in the near future. There's no way we're going to get this entire concept done in one show. It's no. not going to happen. No. Uh, we'll be here for at least three days trying to do that. You know, so none, nonetheless, what I, you know, what I was saying earlier, just a minute ago, uh, your ability should start off with being able to do those six movements uh, one round. So each one of those one time, 
you're looking at maybe 15 total to 20 total minutes once a week to start just mm-hmm. to get the to get the ball rolling. And for some people, you may say that is so ridiculous. No, no, that is being cautious in your in your endeavors. Okay. Yeah. You want longevity here, folks. It's what you're looking for here. Prehabilitory training, not rehabilitory training. Right. You're about you're building the foundation. So, you know, uh obviously the rule applies to possibly need to make uh, a movement more doable for beginners, as we talked about with pull-ups. Right. We talked about, you know, the moderating them in some mm-hmm. way or another. Here's another thing you can do, though. Here's here's your first one. I can't do a pull up. I don't really want to use the flex bands. What can I use in its place? A dumbbell bent over row is perfect in this situation. Or if you're going to a gym, the the uh, pull down, the seated pull down on the universal machine mm-hmm. is perfect in this situation. Lightweight. How many reps? Me personally, folks. I'm looking at you being able to do 12 to 15 reps for each one of those six exercises. Or if you're talking in terms of time, being able to perform them at a slow tempo for anywhere between 15 and 20 seconds, one time each. So you're looking for a weight that's going to accomplish that. Right. And And no more than though. No more. No more. You're just trying to say you need the brain to say to your body, okay, he or she they're going to start doing things here that we're not used to. And so let's try and get an understanding of what's going on here. You can't shock the body out of the gate that fast. Right. So if you're doing, if you're doing uh, uh, 15 reps of say, we're just gonna make this easy 10 pounds and you feel like I could do 15 reps of 15, maybe try that, but you want to get to a point where it's like, okay, I can't do with good form with good form being the key words, any more weight than 15 for 15 reps, that should be where you stay until you're ready to progress. Is that so? So actually, I'm going to get into that. I'm going okay. to. I'm not going to okay. answer that question just yet, but you're going to see where I'm. I'm going to get into that actually okay. here in a second okay. or a minute. Um, so uh, actually, I'm going to get into that right now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get into that right now. Yeah, why time. not? Why not? And uh, because I was thinking I had more to add to that first rule, but that's really it. But the second rule kind of expands on that. Yeah. And, and so I would say this, have a scale of one to 10. All right. So it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of going to answer your question right now. Yep. Uh, one being, this is so easy. It's not even possible. 10 being, this is impossible. I can't mm-hmm. even, I, there's no way I can do this amount of weight or I can go for this amount of time. There you go. What, once your intensity level drops below five or six, mm-hmm. once you're doing it and you're like, oh, this is about a five, this is about a four. Mm-hmm. It's about a three. It's time to increase your activity. Mm-hmm. So what do I mean by that? Add a second and then a third and then a fourth and then possibly a fifth round to your foundational training. Now, what I mean by that is you start off by going another week or two with two rounds, not jumping from one to five. Right. Okay? <laughs> you may increase uh, a couple of pounds. You may be using 10-pound dumbbells and you're looking for the 12-pound dumbbells. You, uh, and you may try to do the same amount of reps. Folks, when you're getting close to the end of the repetition, so if you're doing time and you're going 20 seconds, and when you get to like 16 or 17 seconds, you're starting to feel like you've only got a couple of reps left in you, you stay with that weight. Yeah. If you're going reps-wise and 12 to 15 is your goal, 
And once you get to 12 or 13 and to get to 15 is a somewhat of a struggle and you feel your technique starts to go out the window, you stay there. You do not move up in weight. You do not increase time. You do not increase rounds. You're doing one round right now, remember? Mm -hmm. Until it's relatively easy to get through that process. Yep. All right. And go ahead. No, no, no. That's all. Go ahead. Uh, so, so that would be that would be a second rule, okay? That one to ten. Ten being it's impossible, I'm staying right here. Even eight or nine being that, you know, sure. once you're getting below five or six, once you're getting down into four, three, two, one, it's time to increase intensity a little bit. Right. Okay. And and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. And let's 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 talk about that third rule uh that I would add to the question you had earlier. Now, uh this rule usually becomes relevant after after six weeks you know four weeks at the early six weeks at the latest usually not always start adding variations to your to your six movements so you have your six movements okay start adding variations to them now the pull-up is the one where you may add variations a little bit earlier because it it, folks in my own personal opinion the pull-up is going to be the hardest one pulling your body weight up there's a reason why the united states military uses pull-ups as one of its strength endurance uh indicators for each one of its soldiers uh there's a reason for that and there's a, re- a reason why i do pull-ups uh religiously on a regular basis you, you don't get much better than the pull-up when you're able to pull your own body weight up so that might be the one where your variations go off a little bit we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about what do you mean by variations to those six movements also start incorporating conditioning as well into the program so some people just said well what, do you, what have you been doing? Conditioning meeting more cardio than anything else. Yeah. Adding, you know, um, so, so we'll get into that in a second, but adding variation, variations, you know, for example, as far as those six exercises mean, uh, body weight squats can become goblet squats. So we're, we're talking about specific exercises here and people may not know what, what's the difference, right? So a body weight squat, you may be using just your body weight and going into a seated squat and standing back up slow tempo, three seconds down, three seconds up doing it for 12 to 15 reps. It got too easy. Uh, you changed it to 20 seconds. It's still not that hard. So now you add a dumbbell. So if you could think about the King Arthur days, a goblet squat is basically taking one dumbbell and think about when they hold the goblet. So you're holding the head of the dumbbell and the other head is at the elbows where your elbows are squeezing against it and you're holding it in a goblet formation. And there's so many things that go into that technique as far as squatting down and coming back up. It's a little harder Mm -hmm. and you have to make sure you're ready for that. And when you're ready for that is when the body weight squat has become too easy for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so again, Joe, can I throw this in there? We're talking right now and we're going to start throwing in exercises and you're going to say, I have no idea how to do a pull up, right? Yeah. I have no idea how to do a squat right. I have no – and, Joe, can I, can I simply say that we're going to take care of that situation in the near future when yeah. it comes to exercises and how they're supposed to look? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to start to do uh, – our hopes are to start doing some video mm-hmm. uh, uh, and creating some links for, for folks to be able to, to, to check out. They'll just be basic YouTube links. There's no – Nothing that's going to cost anybody anything. It'll be, you know, completely free, but we'll give you a, 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 the, a, 
beyond a basic idea of how to perform some of the exercises because obviously we're limited in podcast to audio only. Um, mm. Well, for if, now. We kept, if we kept it at this format, uh, right. but when we could, uh, uh, anytime we can provide an example through, through imagery, obviously uh, it's going to be beneficial to anybody who's listening to the podcast. So absolutely. Sure. And so when I say goblet squat and I tried to describe it to the best of my ability, just understand right now that it is a little more complicated than a bodyweight squat. And you're ready for that because you followed the rules that we've just talked about as far as those six uh, maneuvers are concerned. Um, you know, and then you could start switching up pull-ups on one day. And if you're doing, uh, you, you're now doing uh, a second day instead of just one day as you move into that four to six weeks uh, and you're are increasing your rounds, you, instead of doing pull-ups on the second day, you're doing bent over rows. We just talked about that a little bit earlier. Our one arm dumbbell rows, different movement patterns, attacking the same muscle groups. Uh, and it's very important for a lot of different reasons. Um, if you add a third day, maybe you're going to now do this Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, not just one day a week. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do two rounds to three rounds each day each day and now that you're you're talking about you know eight to ten weeks down the road you start moving your exercises around so as to avoid overtraining which means listen you're not going to you get into the 10th 11th 12th week and you're in foundational training as you're getting better and better you're not going to deadlift on monday deadlift on wednesday deadlift on friday that's not how you do it folks that is overtraining that is overuse and that is a major problem. And like I said, in the near future, we're going to have a show and then an interview with somebody who went down that path. And you're going to listen to what happened to her. And it is very uh, riveting. Um, and uh, I, I've already spoken with her on several occasions. And you're really going to want to hear this for all you out there who think you're supposed to work out six or seven days a week, two to three hours a day. You may want to hold off on that after you hear that show. Um, so that being said. Uh, lastly, you know, getting back to the, the conditioning part, you know, because I mentioned that you said conditioning. I thought that's what you've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Strength and conditioning. Conditioning is the part where you're working on strength. And at the same time, you're trying to keep your heart rate elevated. So you're doing certain things like jumping jacks in between all the strength exercises, or maybe even a hundred meter run in between your strength exercises or jumping rope in between those exercises. And, you know, what I can do here is give you a sample workout. How does that sound? Does it sound like a pretty good idea? So this, this is what I'm going to do. I, again, Joe talked about that imagery and how eventually we're going to be able to do that. And right now, though, listen to what I'm saying. Take in mentally what we're saying, okay? Auditory learning. You're listening to what I'm saying, and that way when you see the imagery portion of it, when you see the video, that's going to play a huge role because you're going to remember what you heard and you're going to apply it to what you see. And that is going to be fantastic for you, okay? It's going to be a beautiful moment in my mind. So that being said, let me give you an example. We talked about uh, this is that extreme, folks. This is when you get into like your close to your third month of foundational training. You're an individual who has never worked out before, okay? Or you've been off of working out for two years and you're getting back into it. Or you had um, a major injury, all right? Or maybe you had a double hip replacement. So you've been out of the game for quite some time and now cleared by a doctor for full go again, but the doctor's orders are you must get back into it slowly. Mm. And he means or she means slowly. So now you're into your third month, 
and you want to up the game a little bit, you want to up the intensity, you've gotten those six exercises, you started off real slow like we talked about, you've done each one of those things and it got easier and the scale went from a 10 on that first week all the way down into your third month now and you're in the like the two and three and four at the most on that one to 10 scale and you're like, I'm ready to get a little bit more, I'm ready to get the strength, I'm ready to add the conditioning, I'm ready to go three days a week. All right. So I want to go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I want to make sure I'm not doing the same movements each day. I want to switch it up and I want to make sure I add my conditioning part, you know, keeping my heart rate up with my strength part as I'm getting closer to the end of foundational training here before I really start attacking the weight room. So let me give you an example of foundational design training. 50 to 100 jump ropes is where you would start that Monday training. We're going to go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, okay? And I am looking at an exact replica of what I do, all right? I'm literally looking right at it right now. And I don't mean for me only. I mean for anybody that I start off with and they're into their third month of foundational training. This is not what we do in the beginning. So 50 to 100 jump ropes, all right? And that's followed by body rows or pull-ups anywhere between... 10 and 15 at this point. And then we go over to 10 to 15 goblet squats. And then we go over to 10 to 15 dumbbell overhead presses with dumbbells in each hand standing. And again, we talk about technique. We talk about form and how that dumbbell should look when it's over your head and how it should look when you at your returning point to your shoulders. That's round one. We go anywhere from three to five rounds. Okay. Three to five rounds. And then on Wednesday, we come back. We don't do anything that we did on Monday. We do completely different movements. 15 weighted step-ups. So wearing a vest or holding dumbbells and stepping up and down off of the stepper. 15 push-ups. 15 modified deadlifts. So we may be doing deadlifts. With a hex bar, anybody who does not know what a hex bar is, Google it. It is something that you should use when you're first learning how to deadlift because it helps you to control your center of gravity and balance and keep your back in the position it's supposed to be in as opposed to a straight bar, which causes you to to lean forward and use your back more than you're supposed to in a deadlift. So, So we're doing modified deadlifts using a hex bar, 15 reps, again, three to five rounds. We then move over to Friday. Friday, we do nothing that we did on Monday and we do nothing that we did on Wednesday. Friday, we may do 200 to 400 meter runs. Now, I don't mean 200 of them. I mean the 200 meter run, the 400 meter run. We do it one time, but we do it for four rounds. But after we do it the first time, we then do 15 unweighted squats. No weight body weight only. Then another from wherever we're at on the track. And then we do another 200 to 400 meter run. And then another 15 body weight squats. And then another 200 meter run. And then another 15 body weighted squats. And then one more 200 meter run. And one more 15 unweighted body weight squats. Four rounds. That's the entire workout on Friday. That is the entire workout. And if you think that's not a workout because you're done in 20 25 minutes at the most, uh, trust me. Let me know. Come do that with me in your third month of foundational training and let me know if it's a workout or not. (laughs) Um, It's 
again, this is not something. Could you imagine, folks, what I just said to you about what you would do on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? Could you imagine me throwing you to the wolves? Or, you know what, for the purpose of this show, throwing you to the sharks. <laughs> immediately, immediately doing that, rather than what we talked about in the beginning of the show, which is those six exercises, doing it one time each, for 12 to 15 reps or 15 to 20 seconds, one time each and being done one time a week until you're ready to move to the next level. Three months in, four months in, sometimes it takes up to six months to get to what I just described to you. And, you know, that's just one example of four to five different designs that I run. And I don't know, do we have time to go through one more Monday, Wednesday, Friday design, Joe? Um. Uh, you know, or, we're, we're, we're coming up on an hour. We may want to about So how about a promise that we'll continue to come back to this and I will continue to show designs like that and a promise that there will be imagery in the near future where we will be able to show you what these workouts look like. So that being said, and knowing that this show is, is going on, and, and, and it's going on because there's a lot of information here. And again, folks, why we're not going to be able to get everything out in, in one show. That's impossible. So... Let's talk about one of the last things we're going to talk about today, and that is still foundational training, but we're, we're going to take it in another direction, possibly even a different audience to a certain extent, but not so much because you who are listening to this that are beginners, this may be you in the near future. So pay attention here, okay? Foundational training is not only for those who are beginners and coming, you know, coming off injury, trying to get back into a lifestyle of fitness, but it's also for athletes who compete in several different sports or those who are coming off of the off-season program and then going into your in-season program and vice versa, okay? So the time period here can be as short as four weeks or maybe a tad more. In this situation, uh, mostly for athletes in their off-season or individuals transitioning into new exercise modes. What do I mean by that? Let's say you're doing nothing but CrossFit. And that's the periodization that you're in right now. You're doing, you know, four to six weeks of CrossFit. And then all of a sudden, you're going to switch it up. And you're going to change your training regimen to becoming more adaptable to distance running. Well, you're changing your foundation completely there. So for possibly four weeks, you may want to slow down and get back into foundational training like I've just described to you before you go into distance running because you're changing everything. That's a complete 180 you're doing there. Make sense? And, and so with that being said, um, you know, also, like I said, going from, from one sport to another. So what do I mean by that? Well, well, why do I have to do foundational training? I've just been in season and now I'm going to, because your, your movement patterns may be somewhat different. Now, let me give you an example for my, for my, you know, two and three sport athletes, you're coming off a football season. You're going into basketball within three to four weeks, if not less, sometimes your foundational training should be then reviewed and taken on for at least two to three to four weeks before going into whatever program you're going to go into to attack basketball and then basketball to baseball, same thing, or soccer to basketball or wrestling to baseball, completely different. So you want to do some foundational training design before you go into whatever program you're going to be doing in the off season to get ready for that next season. And I know a lot of those seasons bud right up to each other. And that's what makes it very difficult putting together programs for high school sports, especially uh, because in that, that particular period, kids are looking for 
what they're going to love to do possibly after high school. Most kids do not do sports after high school, but for those that do the 10% that do sports after high school in college, um, that is essential for them to understand the foundational training portion of this. Make sense? I hope so. If not, we're going to continue to talk about that. Ask questions, please do. So you know what? All that being said, let me just say a couple of things real quick here and summarize this up. Uh, Time periods can be as long as six months when it comes to foundational training. And that usually falls into a category with individuals who are predominantly sedentary uh, or recovering from major injury. Or, you know, they may have never participated in exercise or sport in their lives. And the percentage of the latter, unfortunately, are growing yearly. And that's something we'll talk about in another show. Uh, sports doesn't have to be your name on the back of a jersey, by the way. All right. And an athlete does not mean that you play for a team with the name on the back of your jersey. Yeah. Athlete. I, so, so many people think when you say athlete, automatically somebody is participating in an organized sport. Right. People are athletic uh, that have never played a sport in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you tell that? Let me just give you one example. You ever been at the office and as you're walking up each step, someone comes past you and is going every other step mm-hmm. at a time, literally just hopping their way up the step, briefcase in hand. Uh, and we've all seen this, right? That's an athletic individual. I can guarantee you, believe it or not, most people can't do that. Most people will not go every other step up the steps like it's nothing and literally not be breathing heavy at all after doing it for three flights before they get to the top floor. So that's an athlete. That person may have never touched a soccer ball, a basketball, a baseball, a tennis ball. It may have never touched one in their life, but, but that's athleticism. And so please understand when we say athlete, that does not necessarily mean somebody who has a name on the back of the Jersey. That's, that's not, that's not how that works. So that being said, you know, last thing I, I want to bring up for, for today's show. It's designing a foundational training program. Very important. In my studies and in my experience over 20 years now, circuit training is extremely effective as a tool to begin your workout programs for any of the groups I talked about earlier in the show. So you already had an example. I already already gave you one example of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday circuit training process where you're doing strength and conditioning at the same time. And, And so... Like I promised, we're going to do more and more whenever we do foundational training shows to give you more and more of an understanding. You have to take, take heed, follow the journey. Follow the journey, folks. That's all we can ask, ask of you on a regular basis. The rule of thumb is this. Beginners, one round is sufficient. Six to eight exercises. I gave you the six that I want you to start off with. Intermediate. Adding rounds as adaptability is evident, which means it's getting easier and easier. So you add a round. Remember I said add up to five rounds eventually as time goes on down the road using that scale of one to ten. Advanced. Here's an example. Closer to completing foundational movements, increasing fitness levels. That's the advanced portion of this. That's where you are well into your foundational training and you don't feel that overtraining and that overuse is evident upon you. And you're going to learn more about that over the next several weeks when you have those signs that maybe you're doing a little too much too fast. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, real quick. So 
basically, and I, I think you've already addressed this really, uh, the, interme- the intermediate level, we add rounds. But what do we do differently between the intermediate and the advanced? Is it just we wait until we can do the five or six rounds? I think that's what you just said, right? Uh, oh. And then you know that you're able to move on to advanced. What, what's like the, the main thing that, that lets you know, hey, it's time to move on to the advanced level? Well, that's a good question. So, I mean, intensity is key. I mean, you'll, you'll know when you're ready. For mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons, and and not one minute before that, though, uh, you increase your your cardio conditioning. You explore multi joint movements as you're getting more advanced, more explosive movements. We talked about plyometrics earlier. Yeah. Uh, you rest longer between sets. For all of those, all of all the people out there that don't understand that, the more intense you get, the more rest you take in between sets. So when the intensity is really low, 45 seconds is is just fine. When the intensity begins to increase, sometimes two to three minutes is necessary in between. All right. So, so that, that, that's a, that's a rule. And, you know, in shows when we start talking about sets and reps and -hmm. how to apply, that'll become more relevant uh, when we talk about that. Uh, You make sure, uh, you know, finally that, that you have goals in mind as to what you're trying to achieve. Your foundational training may be over. Your foundational period may be over as you begin this phase of advanced. And you're ready. You're ready to move to that next level, which we have not talked about yet. We're still talking about foundational training. But you may be ready to get into what we touched on, which was the explosive movements, the multi-joint movements. Uh, I should really say multi-joint because a squat is a multi-joint movement. Right. But um, uh, I should say more complex movements. Right. Uh, More complex. Well, yeah, like you said. More intense. More intense. Yes. Right. Well, like you said, intensity is key. So, right. Okay, time for a quick break. We'll be back with a summary of today's show as well as a preview for next week's. All right, everyone. So today we talked about starting an exercise routine, either as a newbie or coming back from an injury, or maybe someone who is returning for their specific sports season, even those in between seasons. Remember to take your time so your body will naturally adapt to the exercises you've chosen, as well as the weight limits you're attempting. Slowly make increases over time to allow for the natural adaptation. This is why plyometric or explosive movements should be avoided in the beginning, so as to avoid overtraining and injury. Keep your exercises at a slow tempo to start, push-ups, pull-ups, and other body weight exercises. If you're in the beginner level, we're talking six to eight exercises one time in a circuit style, meaning one right after the other with minimal breaks. After it becomes obvious you've graduated from the beginner level, and you'll know because you're not as out of breath after the one round of exercise you were doing and bearing in mind those minimal breaks, you'll begin to add rounds of those six to eight bodyweight exercises you were doing from the beginner level. Once you've achieved the advanced level, you can begin to add some explosive movements we talked about, such as plyo. So that about sums it up. Now let's talk about next week. Next week, we have a great show lined up. The main topics will be a continuation on our intermittent fasting series. We're going to be talking about what to eat before you fast and how it impacts the end result. Also, how do we break a fast? With what foods and why? We'll also start down the path of the ketogenic diet by introducing some of the unknown facts surrounding its existence and, of course, how it's done. So you can make a decision as to whether or not it's the right lifestyle for you. Until then, I want to remind all of you, be sure to give us a review on your favorite podcast service. Also, if you have any questions, comments, thoughts, or opinions, you can leave us a voice message via the link in this episode's description. And finally, remember to join us each week as we release new episodes every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, on behalf of Coach Tony and myself... 
Thanks for listening and stay out of the water. <laughs> Be the best you ever.